Welcome to the last in series six of our weekly podcast of Womankind Collective with me, Lou Hawkins-Thompson. And me, Jinty Sheeran. So come and join us as we embark on a fun and educational journey, talking to experts and advocates on subjects that are often taboo. So go and get the kettle on and settle in for a chat and probably a lot of laughter along the way. As Lou said, it's our last episode in series six, series six before we break for Easter. And this week we welcome one of the collective, Aline Boblan, who will be joining us for our book collective and telling us a bit about founding the Transformation in Action CIC, whose vision is a world where menopause is an empowerment, a time to thrive, an opportunity for new beginnings and adventures. In the book collective, we discuss the last chapter of our book club, Rebel Bodies by Sarah Graham. This month's foodie collective is nice buns and we have a perfect seasonal bun for you to have a go at. Find out how we are getting on with our WI this week and have a pen and paper ready to jot down the new WI for the holidays. And you're lucky this week uh, because finally we have both chosen a quote for you. Um, We've had some great comments, haven't we, this week, Lou? Oh, we so had. So, um, Aline, or as I'm going to call her now, Alien Goblin. Yes. (laughs) You'll find out why later. Um, She says about um, uh, Life of Pi, Cherie, thank you for sharing your story and advocacy to support others and raise awareness of POI. What a charming, empowered and empowering young woman you are. Listen, listen to you was both emotion. Listening to you was both emotional and inspirational. Couldn't yeah, more. yeah, definitely. Well, Neil agrees as well. He says absolutely loved today's episode. Cherie was instantly likable from the moment I heard that lovely accent. So positive and a beautiful as a person. Massive statement, but I think she is my favourite guest. Oh, we've yeah. had, yes, me yeah. too. Yeah, she's lovely. So yoga with Razia, loved it. Your guest is so inspirational I can't believe she went through all that on her own so sad and on our fashion post about what women want to wear over 50 uh, Mrs Menacles says I can't do fashion I've always been the wrong shape even when I was pre-meno belly and Mm -hmm. that and was a skinny beanpole like a model get this I bet you didn't know that even though models tended towards size 12 and 6 which I was, uh, when they modelled the high street fashion brands, their clothes were not a size that was ever sold. Mm, I can well believe it. I can, I can. And Sam Talk Sex says about the same post, I shop in charity shops. You never know what gem Mm. you'll find. It saves the environment, supports charities and is cheaper. Plus better quality clothes too. The high street or online brands doesn't care about my needs. And Esther has a ADHD. It says, one thing I have noticed is that no women's clothes take into account the fact that most women have a baby at some point. Your body, especially your stomach, changes when you've carried a full-term pregnancy. Yeah, I agree. They don't take into account our bellies, do they? No. They are, you've either got they're to, there. They're there. You've either got to have something right over the top or, or underneath. Oh, I go underneath now. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever go for the top? Yeah, I like some big knickers over the top. Yeah, they're very useful. And there was a lot of love for our um, 
rolling pandaloo, wasn't there? Yes, there was, gents. Yeah, great post on the genital urinary. Uh, <laughs> Easy for you to say. <laughs> syndrome in menopause. Yeah, a lot, a lot of women experiencing the burning, the itching. And resonating yeah. with that panda trying to cool things down yeah. in the snow. How's your week been, Ginty? Well, we had a good response, first of all, to our little um, poll. Oh, I forgot about, about the poll. Yes, the poll. Not the rusty poll. Not, next <laughs> not the, what is that all about? Oh, there's a rusty poll on the mare in Exmouth. I know there not... is. And there's a big sign on it that says, this is a rusty poll. God save the rusty poll. Yeah. Yeah, you all need to go and follow that one. It's riveting. Riveting <laughs> yes, on It all Facebook. happens down here in Devon. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway, not that poll. Um, our poll that where you wanted to know, didn't you, about yes. diaries. Yes. And, yes. How and are people we're, faring with Well, them? we had um, 67% of people said, yes, they don't like it when their diaries fall. Oh, sometimes. Goodness. Sometimes over they half. fell. Yeah, so it was over half. Um, so it's quite interesting. Oh, thank you for everyone that took Yes, time. thank you very much. And also this week, Lou, a German woman, Lottie Mize, caught my eye in a step forward for gender equality this week. Yeah. When a lifeguard asked police to remove Lottie Mize for bathing topless at her local indoor swimming pool in Berlin, it was a move that would inadvertently trigger a rule change, allowing all women including visiting female tourists. So if you go into Berlin, uh, the freedom to go topless while swimming in the city. Oh. Yeah. The decision to change clothing rules around swimming in the German capital was made after two women, including Mize, filed complaints about being thrown out or barred from the city's pools for refusing to cover up. They demanded the same rights as their male counterparts when bathing topless in the city's public pools. Now, this sort of came about. She's Mize is 33. She lives in Berlin. And last December, she filed uh, a discrimination com complaint against an indoor pool after she was barred from entering topless. But Lottie said she emailed in advance and was given permission to bathe topless. However, when Mize went topless at the pool, staff asked her to leave. Um, she said that she protested that the rules only prescribe wearing commercial bathing suits and that she was allowed, but police were summoned and the lifeguard who originally gave her permission to swim topless barred miles from the pool. So basically, nowhere did it say women had to wear a top. So she was saying, it, it says on the rules, you just have to wear a commercial bathing suit. And that can be your bikini bottoms. Your bikini bottoms, yeah. She says she felt humiliated as she left and contacted the city's Department for Justice, Diversity and Anti-Discrimination. Um, thus, complaint prompted a rule change. It's nice when it works, isn't it? Yes. After the department found that Lot Lottie had correctly, correctly interpreted the bathing rules and the decision was made to explicitly add that anyone, regardless of gender, could be topless at the public pools. So if you're going to Berlin, you can go topless swimming. Yeah, yeah. And I loved what she said. She said it is important to understand that not allowing people the same rights because of their gender is not a matter of opinion, but an act of structural sexism. Everyone should have the same opportunity and above all, freedom of choice, especially when it comes to their own body couldn't agree more Lottie. well done yeah Lottie. well done yeah so um 
yeah, just take your bikini bottoms or just your pants. Oh, if you're going to if you're going to Berlin, big pants. <laughs> your big pants up to your up to your breasts. Yeah, mine, would, mine would cover <laughs> most of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be like a boob tube yeah. anyway, wouldn't they? Um, and remember, last week we were chatting with Kate um, about. <clears throat> excuse me, the week before, about relationships in, in menopause and the sound of our partner chewing gum or slurping their breathing. tea really gets, breathing really gets on our nerves. Well, I found some research this week. Oh. Turns out we're not alone. Researchers say almost one in five people in the UK has strong negative reactions to such noises. A new research found that 18.4% of the UK population have significant symptoms of misophonia. Mm, I've heard about misophonia. Yes, it is a disorder in which people feel strong emotional responses to certain sounds, feeling angry, distressed, or even unable to function in social or work settings as a result. But just how common the condition is has been a matter of debate until this research. So Dr. Cilia Vittoratu is the first author of a study at King's College London. Um, and she says, this is the very first study where we have a representative sample of the UK population. Most people with misophonia think they are alone, but they are not. This is something we all need to know about and make adjustments if we can. So their team report, they reported it in the journal PLOS One, um, and they gathered responses from 768 people using metrics, including a selective sound sensitivity syndrome scale. Where do you think you'd be on that scale, Lou? Oh, I'd be high. <laughs> yeah, I struggle. I struggle with so much. Background noise to me is always foreground now. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder how many of those whether people can develop it in menopause because people do we've t- spoken about it before we seem to get very sensitive to yeah, sound just fucking angry yeah yeah um one one of the questionnaires um pro- uh, probing the sounds that individuals found triggering such as chewing or snoring and the other exploring the impact of sounds whether they um affected participants social life and whether the participant blamed the noisemaker i think you Generally, you do blame them, mm. don't you? Um, as well as the type of emotional response participants felt to the sounds and intensity of their emotions. As a result, each participant was given an overall score. So the results reveal more than 80% of participants had no particular feelings towards such, sound, such sounds as normal breathing I suppose that's quiet breathing and yawning, but it plummeted to less than 25% when it came to sounds including slurping, <laughs> her face, chewing gum and sniffing. However, she says not all those reporting a response will have misophonia. While there are a lot of sounds that irritate people, people with misophonia express different emotional responses. Uh, She said noting this could include anger or distress or panic. I think it becomes um, misophonia when it massively affects your life. Like so so you can't go out to eat. Social situations. Yeah. Yeah. You're not there yet. No. Yeah. get some of tits <laughs> she's just <laughs> angry all the time unless it's in a room you'd be all right if you went on a silent retreat yeah that would be ideal yeah. wouldn't it yeah it would but i think it would heighten it because then any slight noise i'd be like <gasps> oh yeah that's true yeah. oh yes it's silent retreat you'd still get people breathing sniffing and yawning mm-hmm. wouldn't you oh yeah no my no don't do that no, no. no. don't <laughs> 
on that note, how's your week been? I hope you haven't been on a silent retreat. No, no, everyone's still alive, luckily. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, all good, actually. Do you know who Celia Payne is? Oh, I recognise the name, but I can't think where from. So no, I okay, don't. Okay, so Celia was born in England and she was a scientist. Uh, she studied at Cambridge University where she took a course in physics in a scientific community that begrudged a place to women. So mm. we're talking about the, the turn of the, uh, the 20th century. Mm. Um, but she she's an amazing woman because I just found, I just stumbled upon her. She actually discovered the chemical makeup of stars that they're made mostly of hydrogen and helium. Um, her work and her degree were not noted as she was a woman. Get that. So yeah. she moved to the US and to Harvard where she completed a doctorate um, degree in astronomy. So in her 1925 thesis entitled Stellar Atmospheres, it was most famously described by astronomer Otto Struve as the most brilliant PhD thesis ever written in astronomy. Wow. So high praise indeed. So, um, but because she was a woman, Henry Norris Russell, who is the director of Princeton's University Observatory. Did he nick it, Lou? Did he nick it? Ni what, somebody is going to nick it mm. in a minute. He dismissed her findings as clearly impossible. But just four years later, his research confirmed her work. Yet he got the credit for the discovery. Oh. Bastard. Yeah. So. Thief. Exactly. So on completion of her doctorate, um, she decided to stay on at Harvard. But at the time, even though she was obviously this absolute scholar, um, she could not advance to professor, professor as she was a woman. So mm. she spent many years in a lesser low pay as lesser low paid duties. But finally, in 1956, Payne achieved two Harvard firsts. She became the first female professor and the first woman to become a department chair. So she finally... I'm glad that happened in her time. She waited long lifetime, enough. Yeah. But yeah, so men took her glory. Yeah. But not so there not we go. for the first time. No, not for the first time. Yeah. But yeah, go Celia, is what I say. Yeah, definitely. Also, obviously, we've had a clock change. Yes, we have had a clock change. Forward, we've lost an hour. Springing forward, forwarding back. Yeah. Bloody going yeah. where we were, isn't it? Yeah, all over the and shop. And I think as Mrs. Menacore's called it, it was Bastard Sunday. Yes, obviously, you're absolutely worn out because you've lost a complete hour. Yeah. So this, I didn't realise this, and maybe I am just, you know, very, very late to the party, but I thought it was just England, UK, that did. No, clocks. no, no. 70 other countries. Yes, they do. 70, 70 other countries around the globe. Um most European countries, including France, observe um, European summertime. And the people that don't are Africa. Africa do not use it because they are and they're near, uh, bleh, bleh. near the equator. Near the equator. Yeah. I'll just tell you a funny story about France and yeah. why I know that they do. Yes. Well, we went to hol on holiday to France. Where we, we went over there, had a lovely little gite. Um, every, nearly every day when we went to the little shop to buy, um, our little, whatever we were having that day, um, baguettes. the baguettes, um, my husband speaks a bit French. I don't speak any. Um, and she would look at us like, you know, and point to the door and we think, oh, you're going to be open for, it's only two o'clock. You don't close till three. So we were just annoyed every time, yeah. you know, and she'd be pointing to a clock and muttering away. And on our very last day, we were just packing up uh, to leave for the ferry and the bloody 
person whose jeet it was I got there an hour early we were like that oh we're not sorry we're not ready yet we're not we said we don't have to check out till midday and she went yeah it's midday <gasps> we'd been an hour behind <laughs> How <laughs> the lovely. whole week because we didn't realize the Saturday we got there they changed their, their clocks. clocks it's not the same Saturday as we do no I think, it was a it? it was a different Completely week and thank different. god she did turn up at that time because we would have missed our ferry <laughs> So, so yeah, I know France. Didn't yeah. It? So yeah, no, I was completely surprised. I thought it was uh, just just the UK doing mm. it from the first World War and everything. But uh, one last thing, gents, I have a word for you. Oh, I like a new word. And I don't know if you've heard it. Primaveral. Primaveral. No, I've never heard of that. So it relates, and I thought this is very nice. It relates to early spring, and it goes between the twentieth of March to June the twenty-first. So we're in primaveral now. We are. Oh, I know. I'm just wondering where I can put that into a conversation. Is it primaveral, do you think, or premaveral? Veral? Prima, probably prema. Prema, prema, prima. Oh, tomato, tomato. So, spud, spud. So we've got a very special book collective this week. Um, it's our final chapter of Rebel Bodies, A Guide to the Gender Health Gap Revolution by Sarah Graham. We're on chapter 11. Can I speak to a real doctor dismantling a sexist medical model? Mm. And we have got the most gorgeous Aileen. You've done it again, Lou. Aileen. Oh, Aileen. Aileen. We've just had this conversation, Aileen, Aileen haven't we? We have, oh, yes. <laughs> Well, let's see how we get on and what, what you say by yeah. the episode. Yeah. Aline. Aline won't be talking. Voilà. Bravo. Anyway, welcome, Aline. <laughs> Dying again. Lovely to see you today, ladies. Yes. And you. you again. Yes. Yeah, so we, we met Aline um, face to face, didn't we? Up at the uh, Parliament um, rally, the menopause rally. Uh, yes, well, last, last year. year. Yeah, which was fantastic. And Aline's been uh, reading along with us and has some really good points to make. So, Aline, how did you get on? First of all, we're going to talk about the book in a, in a bigger way in a moment. Um, but how did you get on, first of all, with Chapter 11? I was looking for a lot for hope in Chapter 11. Me too. Mm. And when I was going through all my notes, I had to focus myself on hope to go and look for that and think outside the box. I mean, especially when you see the article from this morning in The Guardian, you think we really want to find hope on how to fix yeah. the NHS system. Um, but it was also really pointed and and clear on where the NHS is broken. Yeah. And the fact that it's not new, it started, you know, over a decade ago it's been brought to its knees it is quite it's struggling to be positive about itself it's focusing quite a lot on on the fact that it's, it's disjointed what was it that uh, i think it's baroness julia Kimberley who says it's disjointed siloed so not at all holistic defensive and unresponsive yeah side of the nhs there's also amazing staff who are doing the best they can under the circumstances they're in. And there's the biggest hope to me in there was around the coming generations. Yeah. The fact that our youth is much more inclusive and much more likely to find themselves and respond negatively to the seen discriminations inside the NHS at the moment. The fact that they want to learn more, 
they don't care about gender. They don't care about your preferred sexuality or about your ethnicities. Yeah. They're a lot more um, embracing of yeah. diversity and that should help with how we've been perceived as women and all of the minorities you spoke about all the way through the book have been feeling and seeing being dismissed or not heard. So there is a lot of hope there and there it's got is. time. Yeah. Another element of hope is outside of this book. It's mentioned to some extent, and in season six, you've pushed that forward a lot around advocacy and how people, yeah. Shireen, like myself, like a lot of the guests you've had, because we're expert by experience, because for many of us, again, like Shireen, like myself and others, we are qualified expert by experience. We've taken the training our GPs should take, for example, where menopause is concerned. If we can be part of that system and work with the integrate, integrated care boards, work with when you have a kick like myself or like Diane, when we're very much focused on grassroots campaigning, you know, putting the egos aside, looking at collaborations, if we are part of that journey, we are more likely to help it change, to help the NHS change, to look at things in a holistic fashion, to emphasize how prevention is much better than cure. And knowledge is power is something we keep saying in TIA, but also knowledge can be scary. As it says in the book, it says knowledge is scary because once you know how broken the system is, how confident can you feel that it will be there to support you? As we see through two of the GPs that talk in the in this chapter, the, not GPs actually, they're medical specialists, mm -hmm. who themselves feel discriminated against because either they're a woman of color or they're a woman in a wheelchair. So they're not just women. Yeah. You know? So how could you be a qualified medical expert at the forefront of your sector just because you have those external signs of looking different to what the middle-aged white European male and um, so again if we are part of that system we can really help change and I really think that expertise by experience and it can be ladies like yourself who've been facing the challenges you've been facing fighting to have access to a menopause clinic endeavor yeah we, we, we have one in Birmingham yeah yes you do 77 waiting lists weeks as a waiting list yeah ridiculous. So, yeah. so so there is hope and I, I do think even if it's not written down in those words in the in the chapter we can we are the people to make this happen i i think so and i think just to go back to what aline um said in case you you haven't read uh just in this morning in the guardian there's <clears> um a report um been published um that the nhs um in england needs a massive injection of homegrown doctors and it said it could exceed 570,000 staff shortages by 2036 so that's what aline was talking about aline was also talking about you mentioned your or TIA there, which is uh, Transformation in Action, um, which is a CIC group that um, Aline founded, where you sort of hope to help, again, a bit, it's advocacy, isn't mm. it? Empowering women in, in their menopause. It's empowering women. It's also having discussions with, with employers. It's also, we, we've actually got some funding at the moment. So not sponsorship, that's actual funding through grant providers, mm -hmm. help people from minority groups and on low benefits and on low income to access menopause specialists, for example. And it's also, again, working behind the scenes to be part of those integrated care boards. That's very slow. 
Yeah, super. So, and I think you, you're right. I think what I took from chapter 11 was not so much hope that didn't spring out to me, but it was the change. It's that we're in that period of change, aren't we completely? Yes. And, and everything that you're doing, you know, with, with the transformation in action and uh, the CIC, it's there. It's, it's nipping away, isn't it? It's, we, we get, we're getting there, but it's a slow old journey. It is. At the same time, you know, the, the, the biggest initiative we have is menopause knowledge. And every mm. single time we do a talk, every single time a woman is prevented, a person, because it's not just women, a person is prevented from derailing from her life, from having that negative impact on her family, on her work colleagues, work relationships, on her pension. Mm. It's incremental. It's that ripple effect of positivity as well. It's so validating to have those kind of comments I don't feel alone anymore yeah you know I know where to go completely and I think that's the biggest part of her. again I was like you looking for hope and like Lou said that she couldn't find much you had to look for it yeah and there it was, didn't jump out of the page it doesn't and I think even Sarah was finding that difficult in this last chapter yeah. um but I think that the, as you say the hope is the, the uh, advocacy and I think since the mm, Me Too I movement agree. um we're not putting up with things generally anymore are we and the younger no. people like our daughters we've all got daughters and they're all they're all in a different and my sons actually they're they're not they're not they're just up amazing with aren't they yeah. and they question things yeah, yeah. they mean, really do um, and yeah. you know the last bit in the book rest assured that the fight back is on and every rebel body has a part to play yeah again going That's back powerful it really is and that optimism that copes through is a cultural shift in yeah. the US, but also in our youth, as you say, our daughters, yeah. our sons, yeah. they're not going to take as much shit as we No, have. and they have a voice and they are using it, aren't they? They really are using it. And, and that makes me, you know, so proud of all of them, all that generation. But that also comes through the likes of us because, because we are advocating, because mm -hmm. we're talking in a way our parents didn't, our mothers didn't. No. They are picking up on what we are doing. Yeah, because mm. uh, I, I agree. I, I really want to talk about hope, but the best part of the chapter. Yeah, just going back to something you said um, earlier about um, I can't remember what it was that reminded me of this particular part. Doctor Rajasri, um, she reflects on her experience as a patient undergoing IVF um, yes. uh, when fellow medics dismissed her, even though she was a doctor. Um, but what what I, what was interest me? She talks about how as a as a junior doctors. <clears throat> They're taught that they will have to make these quick decisions, which obviously they do, um, but they rely for this on these stereotypes. Um, and she she says, and I and I quote here, um, we don't get much time with our patients, and the less time we have, uh, the more likely we are to rely on mental shortcuts and stereotypical views of the patient in front of us. The pressures within the system make it hard for doctors to really take the time to reflect. She adds. I think that's that's everything in there, isn't it? This is these stereotypes. The stereotypes they make are up of of a, of a hysterical um, middle-aged menopausal women. The stereotypes of women's pain, of of black people's trans. pain, of trans. Yeah, yeah it's it's a yes. quick and hope. Hopefully, they're like say the hope, hurt, isn't it? It is. The hope would be well, that the younger doctors aren't going to have those thoughts, but who knows yes. if it's not in their training, you know. Well, and, there, and there's two things there. There's, uh, well, there's three things. Yes, there is a training of the new generation. There is a retraining of the existing doctors. And 
I mean, it's a term that people don't like, but there is a term of dinosaur. Yeah. You're ingrained into your preconception yeah. and judgmental views of, you know, someone walks through and, well, she's a fat middle-aged woman. Yeah. Well, the first thing I'm going to tell her is to lose weight. No, that doesn't help. But yeah. with those very short appointments, if we were asked to do a small questionnaire prior to seeing those GPs for 10 minutes, like, like we advocate for ladies to do before they do go to their menopause yeah. appointments. Yeah. Would that, that help that medical professional have a more holistic view of why that patient is coming here? I've got five lines on what is their big preoccupation. So that's guiding me towards how they feel. And then I can look at the reality of yeah. their condition. I think it would help the judgmental side, the preconceptions, and looking at the person holistically and in the long run, saving money. The bottom line is so expensive, it's, it's so important in our testosterone-driven world. Yeah. Um, that prevention element is and so... It's, it's those small changes that can make the big difference as well, isn't it? Yeah. Such small changes. And what I'd like to see, you talking about a, a form that we could fill in, is a form that we fill in before we see the GP that has no age written on it, no weight. It doesn't ask your age, doesn't ask your weight, doesn't ask your color, doesn't ask anything of you so that they can't have any stereotypical preconceived yeah, ideas. They're looking at symptoms. what it is on the paper. Yeah, these are the symptoms. What could it be? And if that person yes. walks out, walks in, and they are 22, like Cherie, for instance, and they've looked at the symptoms and think, well, it all sounds like menopause. And then they walk in and they're 22, at least, bang, they think, oh, uh, well, oh. I didn't expect that. Oh, if we That's the world. Yeah, I think it just needs, it needs it a is. load of menopausal women ruling the world. I think we'd, be, we'd do all right, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's why we have to be part of the game. Yeah. To be not just campaigning, but for those of us who can, and, and you know, I'm not saying it's easy because I do work three days a week. So all the things we do on the menopause knowledge and TIA, that's all outside yeah <laughs> extra extra us, us too <laughs> us, too, us yeah. too it's all yeah um but yeah. she goes if we go right back she sarah begins the chapter um uh she writes that she, she's six months pregnant isn't she when yeah. she's writing this last chapter yes. and it wasn't really a chapter she planned on on writing um but when she's six months pregnant there's a report in the metro that says uh, due to um uh, understaffing and fears some hospitals cannot offer safe care to women in the current system this is in midwifery um and um that 57 percent of midwives are considering Huge. leaving um and she writes that she is actually you know quite scared as when we spoke to her we we know mm. she had the absolutely amazing she had a um I wouldn't say wonderful time giving birth but they look really felt really looked after it's better and it's than great. she thought better than so she expected. expected but um yeah. there is and that fear mm. is that was during COVID time that fear has carried on and it's just got steadily worse as we've heard in the Guardian today hasn't it yes yes and she mentioned seeing in the space of two months I think she says 300 midwives yeah. leading the practices and that's the fastest drop that they have been seeing. And, and the, the numbers in The Guardian, which go over and above what we read in the chapter, that was only talking about 97,000. We were at 148,000 shortages. And as you said, by 2036, it's hinting at without drastic changes, 37% of NHS staff. Mm -hmm. we, we don't want that. 
No, and this, um, again, as every chapter has been full of statistics, hasn't it? So um, she says in July 2021, the BMA reported that 37% of doctors had experienced verbal abuse in the past month. 51% of GPs had had the same, with 67% said the abuse had had got worse in in that last year. See, this, this absolutely baffles me because just six months prior to all that coming out, we were on the doorstep step they yes were, you know they, they were they heroes were, they were heroes they were the demigods and heroes. and then they are heroes but and then i i just don't understand the mentality there's frustration there isn't there to get it's the frustration yeah. and yeah. she she still has she has additional um statistics on how we perceive the nhs and 28 percent of people feeling they have to fight now that's almost a third of people who think they have to argue and i'm one of them my daughter has had to yeah face dismissive attitudes she's had challenges with her hormonal health and vaginal dryness and now she's had her first uh, a pre-diagnosis of pmdd but we had to go and pay for a private consultant because she was told she was wrong so there's no way it can be your pill affecting you and that menopause that especially she saw was so helpful and kind and compassionate in saying it can be because it's slightly different ingredients mm-hmm. and she a whole suite of things to look for during her whole life. But we had to fight for a number of months. And now it's still the same. One doctor has been fantastic with her, a male GP. However, another female GP, 40 seconds on the phone to say, oh, test results have come back. Everything's fine. Okay, bye. And my daughter went, well, what do I go now then with the other issues I have? What, what do I do? Yeah. And that's, again she spoke up yeah it it goes back it goes back to what Sarah was saying um about the arrogance sometimes um when they don't know they don't like the GPs maybe or doctors don't like to say I don't know and I'll go and find out so they strongly say you're it's everything's normal go away everything's fine it can't be the pill it can't be that wouldn't you they can't know for sure can they well they obviously don't know if a a, a consultant then says yes it could be the pill and it's okay it's okay to know because you can't know everything whichever whichever general practice it's not a speciality and that and that front line is for there to actually signpost you Mm. into the right direction i don't know but i will look into it yes yes and and that goes to again one of the the statistics that sarah has in there saying that 45% of the 18 to 24 years old feel that they are not taken seriously. That doesn't bode well. My daughter is only 25, so she's in that cohort. Yeah. That doesn't bode well for the future. We want to trust and we want to go with our GPs and with our medical professionals. And if primary care can get it right, I go back to that, but not just the compassion and the life uh, impact and the emotional impact, the bottom line. Mm savings exponential if you do have the right diagnosis quickly I saw I can't even count anymore how many people I saw during my perimenopause me as misdiagnosis I cost a small fortune in in piles of boxes of medication yeah and I'm going to cost more money now because I probably will have some onset of of changes in the medical conditions earlier because I was 10 years with terrible up and downs in my hormones 
I'm getting HRT later in life. And that's not proven to rectify all the negativity of no. being patient for a long period of time. So there's so much to learn. Mm. Listening yeah. to people say, I mean, there's another interesting statistic there. Minority groups, 25% of them feeling that they're experiencing racism. The NHS staff feeling that they're being abused. Mm. Well, where is the balance there? Exactly, there is no balance. I mean, she talks as well about the one in five actually resorted to seeking uh, private medical care because of the NHS as well. I mean, anecdotally, I don't know about you and your friends, Aline, but I definitely over the last probably since just before COVID, really over the last five years, um, have said, I've said it and I've had it said to me, um, could you go private for that? You know, could you? And that was, I've never said that in, a, in all my years before that. I, it's only been the last five years. And so it's such a subtle thing that people say, can you go private? And it's just accepted. But it's, if you it's, can't get it in on the NHS, you just spend a couple of thousand, borrow a bit of money. Yes. And, and I go back to the cost. If you really yeah. you yeah. save the money, do it right at the start. Being right, you know, prevention is better than cure. It's crazy, isn't it? It's 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 a lot of talk. Like you know, last week again, we had a lot of talking things going on, and and actually, like these women, they talk, keep bringing up the women's health hubs that, that, that they mentioned. Oh, the women's health strategy. Don't get me going because I'm going well, to. Yeah. Time. There are twenty five million pounds mm -hmm. that's being projected to support the whole of England with the creation of women health hubs. There are over twenty eight million women in England. So over two years, each woman will get less than 50p invested into her health care. Yeah, exactly. And that makes me want to fucking swear. Oops. Yeah. 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 Oops, oh, there we go. Crack on. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and just one note about, go back to the diversity again. Um, Sarah writes about the diversity of the NHS staff, um, let alone the patients. 70, 77% um, of their staff are women. 50% mm. of all doctors and GPs are women. 46% of medical staff are non-white. 3% of NH staff are openly gay. I mean, how many others are afraid to uh, come out? Um, NHS Trans Staff Network has over 170 members, but Sarah says a diverse workforce is not necessarily an equal workforce women are and women are significantly outnumbered by white men in the senior roles we need more women in the senior roles i would say and more diversity don't we um yes because i think again the uh, doctor registry talks about the fact she went to a sexual health clinic and it was she's in a wheelchair and it was two flights of stairs you know these things aren't just thought through at a higher level are they it's still quite encouraging because i think if we were to look at just 10 years ago would we really have seen many people openly saying that their gender mm. identification is not the typical man no man woman mm. so that that that, that is still fairly positive and and we want to be part of those hubs yeah i, I might have criticized the, the 50p per woman for per, per year but at the same time i want to sit at that table the likes yeah. of i need to sit at that table yeah. of us who are have that drive in effect we're social prescribers that's what we are and that's going to be my next study <laughs> Because if we're there, if we are people that can be spoken to on specific conditions, comfort, listen, signpost, calming people as such a big role to play, 
in getting a positive outcome of healthcare. The psychosomatic side of medical treatment must not be pushed aside. It's really, our mind is so powerful. And they've proved that. I can't mention it too much because I haven't got all the statistics in front of me, but they're in Frome in, um, is Frome in Somerset? Frome. I want to say Frome. Uh, Froome, Froome. 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 Um, they've got they've had a whole um there's there's uh, a whole community there of social prescribing and they have taken things way beyond i mean it's absolutely brilliant they have saved their nhs their uh, their their integrated care system millions not thousands millions um and they've taken that across the whole whole of Froome um and it's absolutely they've written a book and everything and it's absolutely fantastic so it's a great model um but uh, like for you, anyone to look at would you would you put that information somewhere yes. on your on your social media because that's that's something that you could be keen to read as a model to help roll that out in uh, our places. definitely i'll find what it's called i shall find the book and i shall put all that put all that on there um, she's sorry, Lou. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I was going to. Are you still on chapter eleven? I was just going to say, Can sort she? of, yeah. Well, just a summing up, really. Yeah. Of what what Sarah does. I'm not going to go through it all, but at the end of the chapter, she's got this lovely summing up of what we need in the health service. Um, again, like Aline said, well-trained, compassionate, skilled people, and plenty of them. More diverse staff, inclusive and trained in challenging their own biases. I mean. We've got to know we've got biases. So acknowledgement yeah. is, is huge, isn't it? Uh, management that is more representative of all staff and patients. Research to bridge the many gaps in medical knowledge. More money in medicine and more and more money generally. More women in medicine, sorry, and more money. Um, and we need the results of any newfound medical knowledge to, to trickle down, you know, to where it's needed. Um, so she, she is quite positive and she she also talks about the positivity around the activism around um long covid doesn't she mm. um and there is a lot of activism that's come from that i think there's a lot yes, of people that I weren't mean, ill before that are now thinking actually they're probably quite judgmental of other people and now thinking actually that's me yeah yes and it's and uh, you know you mentioned the integrated care boards here these are really new structures uh, as that sets replacing what was there before and that has an even greater push towards a quite a dangerous reliance on the voluntary and community sector. Mm. And mm. it's great because that advocacy should be coming through, but the risk is sustaining that with organizations that don't pay people much, if at all, and are driven by passion. But once an individual moves away from a community group, how do you sustain the impact they're having on their community, especially if you put the health care of millions in their hands? Mm. HS hasn't got the money, you know, let's be clear. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Um, it, anyway, uh, we've, we've tackled way more than chapter. Yes, yes, we have. <laughs> so, so what, what, yes. actually, what are you going to take away from this book? What is the big thing you're going to take away from this book as um, a whole? I've learned so much. Mm, us too, yeah. And... It's, it's opened my interest to looking at health. And, and, and if I'm honest, you know, women's health in the, for me, you can't, you can't actually go and save the world. But in a much broader, much more holistic way as well, and looking again at that prevention and looking at my own judgment potentially, if I easily have some judgment when I see someone, 
what's what do people you know in in our healthcare system see as well as we've, we've spoken about before but the the disparity of miscare of miscare of lives loss I, I've just learned so much and it's made me really, really angry and much more determined to make a difference where I can. And I, I think, you know, hearing what you said as well, all the way through this season, it's it's probably quite similar. It's it's a lot worse than I thought. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I was angry. I was emotional. I've cried through this book as well because the stories yes. are just Lies lost. shocking. Mm. Yes, truly shocking complacent you know complacent on stereotypes we have yeah. as well and actually it's coming across with so much evidence-based and factual information on the reality of what this is and what i'm experiencing as a middle-class white woman well actually it can be a lot more extreme yeah who mm -hmm. are different to me um it's it's still hard to say it's a positive book it's it's a triggering book yeah, and it's a, an empowering book. So that's positive. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. And it, I think it depends where you are in your world and in your life as to whether you could read it. Uh, because I think, as we've spoken about before, uh, a time in our lives, if you're well enough and privileged enough, you can turn that anger into something really positive. As you said, you can turn it into helping people. If you, you can't do that unless you're aware of the problems, can you? And she makes us completely aware um, of the problems. I didn't realize, you know, quite that, the, as you said, the problems with diversity and the, the, the stereotypes and the beliefs that there were. So now, once you're aware, you can actually... Yeah, you can work with you that. Can, you, you, you can, can work with you know, it. You, you, like you say, you can advocate you can you can have people with you you can you can actually question and fight and yeah and you, you know it's so much like you know what you're getting yourself into when you're walking through that gp's door and you you're ready i mean the women we speak to now they go in most of them from like the menopause cafe they they've got a list they go in with the list and and the sign where we told them to sign post all the information to and they go in and the gps are like okay yeah, no, yeah. That, that's fine. Yeah, no, what do you want? Yeah. <laughs> yes, because they've got know, it in front of them. And it's not about being right over a GP. No. It's about having information. And I, I know that's what we say. I have a tiny little video online for uh, the five steps to, to have a positive um, appointment with your GP about menopause. But that could be about any condition. That's yeah. not about menopause. It's having done a bit of research, printed it out, being clearer in our head, so we're in a better position to be receptive from on whatever is being said to us, even to the point of maybe bringing somebody with us because we feel we might be emotional or, or whatever and, and reminding those medical professionals of what their role is and helping them focus on that. They're here to do no harm first and they're not here to tell us, you know, things like, I don't believe in HRT. Uh, medicine isn't a flipping religion. Yeah. Mm should be based on fact, reminding them that they are there to support our choices once we have heard the pros and cons and really thought about that. And I guess we are, that book is helping us get there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And we change the way I talk to, in, in, our, in our awareness talks about body perception and weight. And I very strongly say your shape does not define you. So if you find you're being told to lose weight, you're allowed to be angry and say do not define me by my weight yeah. whatever I experience 
is valid, whether it's pain, discomfort, whatever it is. Don't start by telling me to lose weight. Today, that's not going to help me. Mm, yeah. Um, and yeah, so that book has been really helpful already. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think, like you say, it depends where you are in your life as to whether you're yes. able to read it. But if you feel you can, I think it can really make a difference. But you can do a, ch a chapter, just pick out the chapters because it's not, it's not fluid all the way through. So you can just pick out yeah. the chapters that you, you feel you can read at the time. Yeah. Yeah, Rachel said she's read, uh, she's reading, trying to read along, but she's only got to chapter two because it's made her too angry. Um, but, that, but but it's there. She's bought it. It's one of those books that you yeah. can pick up when you think, right, I can cope with that. I can cope I, with that. My, now. my girls are getting this, I tell you. Yeah, I think she's done a brilliant job, Sarah, with this. And I think I don't I think there'll be a Rebel Bodies 2. <laughs> I think you will go on for infinity, don't you? <laughs> I generally think this is going to be a large contributor to changing the system. Yes, we need the research and therefore the funds. Then we, we need that research to have an impact and not just stay in a corner somewhere. Yeah. But again, that use is going to be involved in all of this. So, yeah, we need to. And, and I think it's it's facing that backlash that, that women get about, you know, oh, here they go again. You know, it's facing that backlash and keep going, keep talking. Um, I, I only I only last week I read an article about um, there's a guy and I can't remember his name either. He is he has been trying to get funding for um, research into uh, period pain you know bad period pain um into a medication and and he was talking about how um you know viagra once they found viagra that kind of that you mention a man's penis fund that they throw money at you throw money at you <laughs> throw money at the penis throw what, it at the what, penis. What, what was the statistic it was 90 percent of women experience pnt only 19 percent of men have an issue with erectile dysfunction but there is five times the amount of research yeah for men it's it's just mad isn't it he's been trying for years to get funding and he can't do it it's because i haven't so we haven't got penises no so keep but we keep shouting hopefully the research will happen yes 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 because our, our balls are just as important as men you know we know yeah. that we've all got good ads it's just that ours are tucked away very nicely yeah, a little ovaries <laughs> we, don't don't show them off, do we? we don't need exactly. to show them exactly there's our outside for attention yeah. yes so what about so this is our very last episode not a very last ever no. our last episode of series six which we can't believe we're actually on series six so have you had i know this is a huge loaded question but have you had any favorite guests or topics because you're such a fantastic listener and contributor contributor <laughs> to our little podcast and we so love you and are so grateful for it not They're because... all fantastic women, aren't they? They've all yes, been yes. fantastic. And, and not because she was in the previous one, but Shireen really, really touched me. Yeah. yeah. Really Us too. Um, yeah, a bit speechless because what she has experienced, the loss that she has experienced, the trauma on her mum as well that she shared because her mum didn't talk for a long time. You know, that that's... Oh. Uh, so it, it resonates. And, and what she's doing now... And that advocacy and spending so much time and even her studying is on making a difference oh. she, she really really came across as such a such a special young woman yeah and ellie green oh i'm not sure i can pronounce her name very well green hug oh yes uh, connections yeah connections yes. yeah yes and and the violence against women in homelessness and vulnerability i've never reflected on that topic potentially from a judgmental point yeah you don't want to think about what could be happening in somebody's life when you you pass Thinkers. them 
Yes. Mm. And to think of the trauma that seems to always be linked to ending up homeless for a woman mm. and more vulnerable afterwards. I, I found that episode was very touching and eye-opening as well. It was a mm. continuation as well, wasn't it, of, of what they had to go through, not only being on the streets, but then actually when you're you're homeless, then everything else you had to, to, to deal with, you know, um with with men and just trying to take a shower menstruation just trying to get clean yes and and not being able to actually even sleep you you know like she talked about just walking around all night or getting on a bus because you're so vulnerable you can't just allow yourself Mm. to sleep and we we all know how precious sleep is yeah i know that was a really emotive yeah it was Yes, and, I, and I've finished with, uh, and again, all of, all of the guests have been amazing. But Dr. Aziza Sisi, oh. petulance was absolutely charming. I love her videos. I love what she does. Yeah. And it's such a breadth of topics that she's, she's addressing. And she, she was a lovely, lovely guest. Yeah, it's been a fantastic season. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Aline. Oh, thank thank you. you. And so where can people find you? We've talked about your... Um, transition transformation in action a little bit but um do you, yes. you got have a website uh, we do you know Let's what? throw people your way come on <laughs> it's, taken us, it's taken us so long to get a website because <laughs> uh, all the money it's called menopauseknowledge.org mm-hmm. so quite simple and i'm a very lucky individual my name is unique in the world at this time so wow Aline Boblin, you'll find me on social media. We have a page on Facebook as well on menopause knowledge. Um, and and then if you go on Eventbrite, you'll see where we are going to talk. And if anybody's interested in, in doing a talk, uh, just, just let me know and I'll come where you are. We don't have funding for everything, but we can work things out as long as, long as it doesn't cost us too much you know, to get there. We, we aim to make those free. We can't always do that because we have to be realistic. Uh, so yes, and if people want to donate, that would be even better because then we can go and help others. Fantastic. That's brilliant. You do an ama- amazing, amazing stuff. And like I say, it's a juggle, isn't it? Because you've got your, your work that keeps the roof over your head, like we yes. do part-time, and then the campaigning. Yeah. Yes, and but it, when people talk about you know what was positive, negative in your journey, that's one of the things that's in my menopause toolbox. It's what I do in the community and the difference it makes. And, and you know, the women who help me as well, the three ladies behind me, my daughter, Louise and, and, and Julia, I have to mention them. Um, and it's it's empowering for me. It's a bit self-serving, I suppose, as well, because yeah. it makes me feel so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. And I love, um, you said your surname there. So that's brilliant. Boblin. Boblin. Yes, yes, yes. So a little funny thing about my name. I don't know if that will help you uh, remember how to say it. Oh, you know, it won't help me at all. (laughs) Come on, Lou. Um, My name, as a spell checker, Aline Boblin, comes out as Alien Goblin. Don't say it because that's going to be... I've got a quote to say. One of your oh, comments. I love and I, that. And, that, and that'll be what will be coming out of my mouth in a minute. Oh, my God. <laughs> alien, alien the comments goblin. I get in my... <laughs> Dear alien. <laughs> I might get... A, I'm going to call you that when I read out your comment in a minute. Well, we, we could. We could go on all day, Aline. Thank you so much for joining us. And, um, and it's we so will... lovely to see you virtually and looking forward to seeing you in the flesh soon. Oh, well, it would be lovely to see you again. And you never know. I mean, if you want me to come down and do a talk, let me know. We could organize something below. 
and well, I they're, 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 that just yeah. might be happening soon watch yeah. this space yeah thank you thank you for having me today it's been a pleasure to see you oh, brilliant thanks thank Aline. You. bye foodie collective and we're got nice buns nice buns here's my nice buns so good you can eat me up jinty's got the recipe for these absolutely gorgeous easter nice buns. nice buns so our nice buns this month are marzipan hot cross buns and i'll just say before i start because i don't like marzipan so if you don't like marzipan i think you'll still like these lou i still bloody love marzipan yeah and the only bit of marzipan you make the marzipan it's on the hot on the cross so if you don't like that you can just not eat that yeah exactly a funny little funny story this morning lou well actually it's not that funny if you are eating i'm eating these now so what are you going to tell me well well because they've got currants in haven't they and um didn't have my glasses on this morning got up really early to do my yoga practice walked through let the dog out dog walked through back through the into the kitchen as I followed her back through I thought oh one of the currants for the top cross buns has fallen on the floor so I picked it up and it was a bit squidgy I thought oh what's that sniffed it bloody dog shit (laughs) 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 it had fallen well my dog's like velcro so I don't know, she'd obviously wafted it through. So I thought, what What do I do now? Anyway, so it wasn't a current. I have washed my hands and since. you can't eat currants anyway. It's very highly toxic. Highly toxic. Talk, hence, exactly. Hence, I wanted to pick them up. But yeah, no wonder she didn't eat that little bit of currant that was oh, on there. Surprise. <laughs> but, but um So what's in the recipe? So the recipe as we went through last week, we've we've got these. So these are vegan ones. I just said to Lou, imagine how good the uh, full I'm butter egg one would be full non-vegan version next week mm, folks mm, well done Lou so these have got cinnamon mixed spice we mixed we left out the mixed peel because mm. I can't stand it yeah. it has however I've put the lemon zest in there has got lemon zest I made these are nice even though I did cock up and put the lemon juice in the actual dough rather than it's only meant to be in the cross you just don't notice so it. that you don't do you know it doesn't take it away from the um texture i don't think um the crosses are made with you make your own marzipan with ground almonds a bit of caster sugar a bit of icing sugar a bit of lemon juice if you've got any left from mistakenly put it in the wrong thing and then you do like a little glaze with some melted um apricot jam on the top um and again like with making i'd never really made a lot of bread or dough before before making our buns but you just prove don't you for an hour it's just timing isn't it it is before i go for the dog walk i'd normally yeah do my first proof yeah you don't want to start them at nine o'clock at night that's all i'm saying very light late yeah night. yeah you would it's just proving them and and that kind of as they always say in the british bake-off overproved or underproved whatever i never knew really what that meant still really don't but um they've got a rise basically mm. haven't they so it's Razz really up, yeah. up. and they did Mm. they did and the house smelt when I cooked them yesterday delish delish absolutely delish um so um yeah what do you reckon Lou? well I haven't stopped eating no she's all the way through that I would say super tasty best hot cross (gasps) buns I have ever tasted oh my god and I love me M&S ones oh thank you Lou Mm. that's great you like a little bit of marzipan on top I love marzipan it's quite chewy isn't it I suppose, really, if you were cut for time, you could actually just buy a little bit of marzipan, couldn't you? Mm -hmm. So you can take a few little shortcuts. Mm -hmm. But um, no, absolutely delish. And 
once you've done the proving, like I said, do the prove, go out and do your shop, go for a walk, you know, don't make it like you've got to wait around no. for it. No. I know once you've done that, because the cook time's not very long at all. No, the cook time's only about 20 minutes. Yeah. And, and then you have to chill your marzipan in the fridge. Um, so I'll um <laughs> give it give it a pina colada and a cigarette. Let it chill. <laughs> Let it chill for a bit. Netflix is away. So this is from the um, book that Lou bought me for Christmas, The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide to 2023 uh, by Leah Dertz. And we shall be putting the recipe and the method um, on our podcast show notes so you can make some for Good Friday. Oh, or any any Friday. Any Friday is a hot cross bun Friday. Any Friday is a good Friday. Yeah. If you haven't got work for the weekend. Yeah, it is. And a little tidbit of information I found out this week. Luke, as we're calling this nice buns, um, nice biscuits. Do you know the biscuits that have got nice niece. written on them? Wow. Yeah. You say nice, I say nice. Um, I did a little digging and apparently they used to be called, they used to pronounce nice. That's what the nice meant. Mm. meant that they were just nice biscuits. Oh. Yeah. I got very, very um, continental there. Nice. Yeah, you did. Well, you were right, because listen to this. But when Queen Victoria visited the French Riviera in 1882 and took the biscuits with her, the pronunciation was officially changed to Nice because the French city Nice. However, even after almost 150 years, 80% of Brits still pronounce the name the same way. Nice. Nice biscuits. Oh, no, I see. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very continental, Lou. I, I expect Aline would say nice. She would. Yeah. WI, Lou. Last week I set you um, and the listeners a, w, a rubbish WI of trying to take out a carrier bag whenever you went out and about. Did you remember the bag and did you manage to pick it up? Poo bags. Poo bags. Poo bags. And I didn't do it every time, so I did forget. But yes, I did, I did. did fill a couple of poo bags. Well done. But I, I was also, so I did that when on the beach. Yeah, good. Um, so, so that... It's surprising what's hidden when you really, oh, you, you can go yeah. down a beach and think, oh, it's actually quite clean, but no. hidden amongst the seaweed yeah, and a little yeah. bits of fishing yeah. wire and stuff. Um, So I just picked up just sort of general detritus. But that got me thinking, you know, like you throw an apple core away. Yeah. Or a banana skin or some orange rind. Yeah. Did you know that banana skins take up to two years to decompose? Gosh, so do think they? about that when you throw them away. Well, especially when you throw it out your car window exactly. on the motorway. And apple cores only take around a month. Oh. So that's not too bad. An orange peel takes around six months. But get this. Get! I just could not believe oh, it. I can't wait for this Are fact. You, hold on, I'm, hold I'm on, on, hold to the on table to your here. pants. Yeah, lettuces, the lettuce, the simple lettuce, simple, the humble lettuce. Twenty-five years. No, absolutely. No wonder the lettuce lasted longer than Liz Truss. There we go. There you go. It was always going to happen. Twenty-five years. Twenty-five years. That lettuce was in power. Yeah. My word. I wonder why. I don't know. I don't know because I thought it was mostly water. I didn't actually have time to do more delving. This I'm... was in the composting um, website. Interesting. I knew about apple cores because I know from having teenagers, they'd take apples into their rooms and that, that you'd go in there like a month later and you'd think, what is that dust on there? It'd be like an apple core that oh, just Daisy <laughs> used to do that. She used yeah. to do um, scientific experiments, she said, yeah. under her bed. 
growing yeah. penicillin yeah <laughs> so did you get on okay anyway yeah I did the same as you forgot most of the times yeah, but I, when I, I remembered I thought oh, got a poo bag always pocket. got poo bags yeah. but you can you can't kind of always fit any everything in there but no. um I did most of the times by the time I went for a walk I, I remembered and yeah as you said I was surprised what I could yeah what I could, yeah when you look around but be careful what you're picking up there because there are all sometimes hidden needles and things yeah so do be careful yeah exactly especially if you're not wearing gloves or anything um so I've got a, one for us and the listeners for over the um time over the holidays still um series seven I know I probably will as well so write it down as as we move into lighter longer days and the weather gets warmer it's temp- really tempting to just fling ourselves at the world and do 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 you're a doer Lou oh, you're a doer. doer um and although that energy is great uh, we can, particularly in menopause, burn out. So for our and your WI this Easter holiday, um, I've been influenced again by the almanac from Leah Liedertz, who when I was looking at my hot cross like buns, that, I do like get one that. Every year it's very now. wise. It's very wise book. She's very wise. Um, she says, think forward now in the spring to the autumn equinox. Imagine reaching the end of summer and not feeling frazzled and so desperately in need of comfort food and peace. Imagine taking some of the most helpful lessons of the dark half of the year and we can remember that because we've only just changed wintering wintering how to winter how to cocoon how to soothe yourself and how to rest and bring them with you now through the bright half of the year so you can still use the energy to do 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 but remember that wintering the cocooning I like that yeah and I love the word equinox it's a good word, isn't it? So, it feels so clever saying yeah. Equinox. Daylight and nighttime are the same. Yeah. Love it. We'll do, gents. Good. There you go. Um, quotes. We have two quotes, we don't do. we, Lou? Would you like <clears throat> to go first? I will. And I'll go. I'm starting with Brene Brown. Oh, I classic. Yeah. You are imperfect. You are wired for struggle, but you are worthy of love and belonging. Lovely. That's, again, another one you could look at every morning, couldn't yeah. you? Or on your mirror. Put it on your mirror. You're not perfect. No. Don't ever make yourself perfect. You're not perfect. You're meant to struggle, but you're also meant to be loved and be belonged. Lovely. Belonged to. Belonged to. I think, I think if you thought you were perfect, that would be your imperfection, wouldn't it? Because... You know, what yeah, is lovely. what is perfect? Mine Yours, yes. is by Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg because she was born this month. She was born in March okay. um, in 1933. Um, she was the second female U.S. Supreme Court justice. Oh, and she was. Yes. I knew the name. And now That's I know. right. Now you know her. Oh, she, wakey, yes. wakey. There yes. you go. And she spent her legal career advocating for women's rights before taking uh, the bench. She's at many quotes, but this one I love. I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. Fantastic. That's powerful, isn't it? I think, especially as we've just had Women's Day um, and equity, equality, that's and everything from the Met Police. Yes. Fantastic. Exactly. I love that, Jim. Yeah. 
what a lovely end to the series. Oh, well, thanks for everybody for listening. Yeah. It's been a great series. And we're just always so shocked that people actually listen to yeah. us. So thank you. Yeah, c- listen and come back to us with comments. Yeah, yeah. Y- you are part of this podcast. So you are yeah. the collective. Yeah, definitely. So we hope your tea's not gone cold and that you'll join us next Sunday for the collective. We would love you to subscribe, favorite and review our podcast. It really helps us spread the word. Please head over to our Instagram page, Womankind Collective, to leave comments or DM us with your thoughts or watch us and our guests on our Womankind Collective YouTube channel. And lastly, you will find all the links, the recipes, guest details, and our hashtag Where's My Clinic campaign petition for a menopause clinic in Devon on the podcast show notes. Fantastic. I'll just add, we will be putting our book for next uh series we'll be putting that on our instagram on the old ground yeah definitely uh, do you want a hot cross bun Lou? oh yeah and another coffee oh lovely just don't eat any currants off the floor Oof. Mm-hmm.